So let's cultivate our motivation. So always at the beginning of activities, we generate bodhicitta. The aspiration to become fully awakened so we can be of the greatest benefit to living beings. So when we have generated bodhicitta, when we have that thought in our mind, then we should do our best to not let the mind go to thinking about ourselves and our own problems. And we should keep our mind focused on being one among countless sentient beings, seeing that all of us are stuck in samsara, so really taking a big perspective of our situation, knowing that we and others have the Buddha nature, the potential to become fully awakened. And so with those things in our mind, then to listen to the teachings, to do our meditation practice or whatever activity we're doing in the day, without letting the mind wander from that motivation. Of course, we need to focus on whatever action we're doing. So you have to pay attention to that. But not to let the mind just start spinning out about our complaints, our our unsatisfied wanting and longing, our uh, doubts about our own capability, our doubts about the Dharma, you know, all this kind of um, self-talk that is very afflictive, that we are very habituated to. And so placing our mindfulness on bodhicitta and on the task that we're doing with that motivation so that our mind uh, remains joyful with whatever activity we're doing. The afflictive mind is an, an unhappy mind. And it leads us spiraling, spiraling into non-virtue and into more and more unhappiness. So while we have this precious human life, while we have the opportunity to practice, let's put our mind in, the, in a good direction, one that benefits ourselves and others. So spend a minute and call the fate bodhicitta.
show. I've been on the part of the book about samsara. We finished the first truth, the truth of dukkha. We're talking about the second truth, the truth of the origin of dukkha. And we've been going through the six root afflictions. We finished talking about um, attachment, our favorite one, and anger, our really favorite one. Yeah. It's interesting to, to observe, do you spend more time in attachment or more time in anger? <laughs> or is it 50-50? Okay, so now we're going on to the third of the sixth, arrogance. This is sometimes translated as pride. I prefer the term arrogance because pride in English has a double meaning. You know, you can be proud of somebody. In other words, somebody did a really good job about, uh, you know, doing something and you feel you feel really proud of them. Yeah, so that's a good kind of, of pride. Whereas this is, a, is an afflictive one. So arrogance, to me, doesn't have any good con- uh, connotations. Does it to you? You know? I feel arrogant because that person was so kind. Uh, no. But I do feel proud of somebody who, you know, if you have a little kid who is really kind, you know, or even an adult, you know, for that matter, you feel proud of them when they, they do something really good. But th- this is an afflictive mental factor, so arrogance. Okay. So arrogance is a mental factor that based on the view of a personal identity that misapprehends how the I or mine exists, grasps strongly an inflated image of ourself. So it's a mental factor, yeah, and it's based on view of a personal identity. So in, in Tibetan, that's the term jigta, Sometimes it's translated as view of the transitory collection, which leaves you wondering, huh? What does that mean? <laughs> transitory collection means the aggregates, but it's uh, not a view of the aggregates. If It's a view of the I and mine, and mine being the, uh, the owner, the one that possesses, okay? So it's a kind of person as well. So dependent on that grasping um, from the Prasangika view at an inherently existent I or mine, yeah, then arises uh, arrogance. And what this mental factor does is it strongly grasps an inflated image of ourself. Okay? So already by the definition, we see that it is a, uh, it's, it's a wrong cognizer, okay? Because what it's holding onto is an inflated image of ourself. Now, that image can be inflated in many different ways. Very often, it's I am better than others, but it can also be inflated I am worse than others, okay? So just any kind of inflated 
image of how important I am, how valuable I am, how talented I am, how nobody else could possibly be as wonderful as me, and conversely, how nobody else could possibly be as degraded, as stupid, as much of a failure, and an idiot as I am. Okay, so inflated. Okay, so it misapprehends how the I or mine exists and strongly grasps an inflated image of ourself. So notice inflated image. Image is not reality. Image is the conceptual appearance to your mind. It's not who you really are. Okay, so this inflated image is you know, not who you are. I'm really sorry to have to tell you that. You know, those of you who think you are the worst ones in the world, I'm really sorry you are not, okay? Please, you cannot sit there and be arrogant about how bad you are. That's just too much. And those of you who think that you're the best one in the world, well, in five minutes, you'll think you're the worst one in the world, so this just just what I said, okay? Yeah, you aren't the best one, you aren't the worst one. Oh, then you're going to go into identity crisis. Who am I then? Because our identity is usually I'm the best or I'm the worst, isn't it? Yeah. So what, how does arrogance function? It functions to prevent us from learning and increasing our virtue, and it causes us to disrespect or denigrate others. So how does arrogance prevent us from learning? The Tibetans have a little uh, analogy here. The grass grows in the valley. It doesn't grow on the peaks of the mountains. So the fertile area is in the valley. The humble, when your mind is humble, it's receptive to learning. Yeah, virtue and learning will grow. On the, the uh, peaks of the mountains, you may stand up high, but nothing grows there. It's solid rock. Okay, so with arrogance, it really prevents us from learning because... When we think we know it all, then we, of course, have nothing to learn. Nobody has anything intelligent to share with us because we are already superior. Okay, so it, cause, it prevents us from learning. It prevents us from increasing our virtue because, again, if I'm so wonderful... Well, I don't need to purify. I don't need to create merit because I'm already so wonderful. Okay. So this mind clearly doesn't think of, of future lives. It just thinks maybe I have some high status or knowledge this life, and it's going to continue on ad infinitum. Okay. And it causes us to disrespect or denigrate others. So we are so great that then we have permission to tweet all the insults that we want. Yeah, 
accuse people of things they didn't do, put them down, exaggerate their faults, and boast how wonderful we are. I'm not talking about anybody in particular. <laughs> okay? But this is what arrogance does. It gives us permission to act in an incredibly disrespectful manner towards others because we hold ourselves in such high esteem that, you know, we must have the power to judge who's good and who's bad. And how do we judge it? Well, the people who agree with me and the people who support me and the people who like me, they are the good people. And the people who disagree with me and who don't support me, well, you know, they're just clearly stupid. Yeah, and I should proclaim their stupidity so that the world knows it. But when we act like that, yeah, we're actually saying more about ourselves than we are about the other person. Yeah, somebody who goes on and on and on about how bad somebody else is, or when they go on and on and on about how bad they are, they're saying more about themselves than about anybody else. Yeah. I think I've, I've mentioned, um, you know, sometimes when you meet people who have been to other monasteries before, and they come here and they start to badmouth the, you know, the previous place where they were. I mean, of course, the previous place may not have been great, but there's one way of talking about, you know, things that could be improved, and then there's a different way of actually criticizing people and, and places. They're, they're different, okay? Uh, so I always feel that when somebody comes here and they do that, yeah, that they're really saying much more about themselves than they are about anybody else, yeah? And it's, it's a, you know, it could, it's usually anger, but there's attachment, there's arrogance in there too, because I am so superior, I can judge, you know, how some other monastery functions or what some other teacher does or whatever, you know. I am so bright and intelligent and Okay, so Vasubandhu, in probably in uh, Abhidharma Kosha, he mentions seven seven types of arrogance. So as we go through through them, think of examples that uh, you have of when you've had this in your mind. It's much easier, of course, to think of examples of other people's arrogance. So you can think of that too because that will give you an example to go by of how somebody else appears when they are arrogant. And then apply that to yourself, and you'll see how, what you get arrogant about and how you appear to other people when uh, you're arrogant. Okay, so the first arrogance is the arrogance thinking, I'm superior in relation to someone who is, quote, quote, inferior. So it might be somebody, 
you're the boss, they're the employee, you know, you have some superior status in society, they have a, a lesser status, you're older and they're younger. Of course, nowadays, it's usually the younger people who think they know more than the older ones. Yeah, there's a certain arrogance of being young. You know, I know how to use a smartphone. I know how to use a computer. You know, grandma does and grandpa, they don't know how to do that. They're such idiots. Of course, grandpa and grandpa have a lot of experience from living life. And we can learn from their experience. But we close down and we don't learn because we think we're so much more talented because we know how to exercise our thumbs better than they know how to exercise their thumbs. Okay, so arrogance thinking, I'm superior in relation to someone who is inferior. So in this and in the next two forms of arrogance, we're comparing ourselves with others in terms of wealth, okay? So in this one, I have more wealth than others. Looks, yeah, I'm more attractive than others. I have better clothes. I'm sexier. Everybody looks at me. They don't look at the other people. Knowledge. I have a degree in this and that, or I don't have I don't have a degree because I don't need to know have a degree because I can teach myself and I've you know educated myself about all these things, so I'm very knowledgeable. Social standing, you know, you're from uh, an elite university, you're from, you know, the upper class in whatever city you live in or whatever country. Um, you know, racially, if your country has various gradations of people, you get arrogant over your race, okay? Athletic ability, you know, look at those muscles, you know, I can throw everybody. I can make those baskets, you know, just bring them down my level, um, you know, but especially about uh, athletic ability, you know, like you, you're talented and people praise you and so on, very easy to get uh, inflated. Movie stars in terms of fame, you know, and talent in, in terms of, of being an actor, an actress, or a singer, or something very easy to get puffed up about that kind of things. Um, and then all sorts of other factors too. You know, if your hobby is sewing masks, then you're the best mask sewer. And if your hobby is bonsai trees, you have the best bonsai trees. You're the most talented one in doing that. So whatever it is that we're doing, yeah, we like to have a high opinion of ourselves. We're somehow better, you know? Uh, I can sit in meditation position longer than others without moving. I can sit up straighter than everybody else, okay? My three dots from doing the bodhisattva ordination show they're bigger than your dots. <laughs> yeah. And then I say, well, mine have overgrown because I'm senior. 
They go, no, but mine are bigger, so others know that I've done that. They don't think you've even done it. Okay, so um, we can get arrogant about whatever it is. We can get arrogant about it. You know, our musical ability, our artistic ability, ability, our ability to cook, our ability to clean, our ability to lop branches, you know, whatever it is. Watch your mind, you know, and how the mind always says, I do this better than others. You know, I'm really talented. Yeah, give me those those big dead willows. I can pull them down myself, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So you can get arrogant about me because that's true. You're better than me with that. But, <laughs> yeah, so we can, you know, we inflate ourselves over anything, okay? I mean, the color of my robe is nicer than the color of your robe. It doesn't matter, okay? Okay, so then the second one is arrogance, thinking I am superior, but in relation to someone who's actually equal to us. So it can be in terms of comparing ourselves to the same things as above, wealth, looks, knowledge, social standing, athletic ability, fame, okay, intelligence, religion. I'm so intelligent that I have this religion, you know. I have the best religion. I would only believe in the most, in the bestest religion there is, and I wouldn't believe in a stupid one, you know, because I am so intelligent. But here, you're thinking you're in, you're better than somebody who is actually equal to you in whatever that field is. Okay. And then the third one is thinking I'm superior in relation to somebody who is better than us. Okay? So somebody who's clearly better than us, but we figure out one way in which we're actually superior to them. You know, they know this better than we do, but that's because they've been at it longer, but when we are as old as them, then we'll be far superior to where they are right now. Okay? So you can see these first three all come about through comparing ourselves to others. Okay? So comparing ourselves to others is not a good deal. It gets, uh, and it's not a good idea. It gets us involved in all sorts of twisted ways of uh, thinking about others and thinking about ourselves, okay? And, and so we start lying to ourselves, telling ourselves we're better than others, telling ourselves we're worse than others. And then the mind, wherever we're going, whatever we're doing, we're constantly comparing ourselves to others, okay? So you go to the, uh, our, our monastic gathering, uh, once a year for the people from different traditions. And uh, you ordained before some of the Zen people did their, um, what did they do there? It's, it's called, they have some ceremony uh, in which they receive a transmission. 
Okay, so when we meet, that's considered their ordination, yeah. But we ordained long before they had their transmission. But they had their transmission, yeah, before we took um, bhikshuni ordination. So that means they sit ahead of us. But we've actually been ordained longer. Yeah. And we are superior because we have been ordained longer. And because we follow Tibetan Buddhism, so we're definitely superior. So we should sit in front of them because they are inferior. Right? Yeah. We all agree. They don't agree with us. And the system that was organized says we do it their way, not our way. Okay? So we, what I'm saying is we can get wigged out about anything, you know, some way in which we're superior to other people, and then when others don't recognize our superiority. Oh, okay. So then you have arrogance. Then you have attachment to reputation. And then you have anger. Because people are not recognizing how wonderful you are. So it's kind of three, uh, three in one, you know? A three in one uh, uh, way to create a lot of negative karma over something that doesn't matter. Okay? But we will find a way to make it matter. Okay. So, uh, you know, it, it probably happens when they have these fundraisers for political parties or fundraisers for... Um, uh, charities and things like that, yeah. I've never been to them because I've never been rich, so I don't get invited. But the people who are rich, you know, they go and, you know, they kind of, I'm, I'm a richer person than the other one, or I benefact more, or I'm closer to the people who run the organization, you know. Um, in universities, my goodness, yeah, among the people who graduate high, you know, what rank are you in, in class? If you get a graduate degree, you know, which university did you get admitted to? Uh, who's the high school valedictorian? All these kinds of things. Yeah, if you play a musical instrument, compare yourself to others, everything. So I'm either superior to somebody who's inferior I'm superior to somebody who's equal, and I'm even superior to the people who are better than me. Okay, so it's definitely an inflated view of ourselves. Yeah. Now, when you meet people who are inflated, how do you feel around them? Do you Are you gravitated towards being with those people? Why not? 
Uh, is this making a, a gesture showing nausea? Yeah. 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 Okay. Too much space, you know. Um, there's not, I, I can really feel there's not, not much space for any development. So I, I feel like a hold. You know, this person takes so much space. And oh. so where there is no space for me. So uh. <laughs> then I want to go somewhere else where I have space. Yeah. Okay. I feel like I'm a, um, an object of their pity. It's mm. just, I'm just so pathetic. <laughs> and then the conversation is usually about the other person. Yes. And um, then it's actually feeling invisible in their presence. Yeah. So feeling invisible, uh, thinking that they're pitying you, taking up all the space with their huge ego. Yeah. It isn't uh, an attitude. And, you know, so we when we see people who are arrogant like that that's what we think of them but when we're arrogant that's the same kind of thing that people think of us okay so we can see how much arrogance uh, pushes people away I think it's actually the way our mind works we think that arrogance will attract people to us because we think people will like us because we're so good at this, that, or we know all the right people, or we're exceptionally talented. So we think that letting other people know this will attract them to us because we're so good. But actually, the, arrogant, the arrogance pushes people away because it's so disrespectful of them. Yeah. And like you said, there's only room for them we are completely worthless, you know? Or at best, we can be objects of their use if they can use us to become more exalted than they already are. Mm -hmm. it, it seems like people are attracted to arrogance in some way. Like the people in high school who were popular, they were arrogant, and that really sort of commanded respect. And like the former president, People really respect him, you know, and he's extremely arrogant. So I'm wondering if people are confusing that with confidence. I mean, it is such an awful feeling. How could that possibly yeah. attract respect? Yeah. I think that, that people often confuse it with confidence or they confuse it with power or they're jealous and they want to be near somebody who projects that appearance of being so great at whatever they're great at. Like the kids in high school, okay, we, we used to call them socias, the really popular ones, okay? And so people felt, oh, if I could, you know, had a soci as a friend, then I could, you know, make it into, into their group. So there was jealousy involved, yeah. There wasn't, did we actually like those people? Or did we just were did we want to be as uh, admired as they are? Were we attracted to them as human beings, or were were we attracted to having status amongst others, just like they had status amongst others? Yeah, and the same thing with the former president. 
Yeah. People might might think, uh, yeah, because he, he projects having all this p- power and status and wealth. Are people really attracted to him as a human being? Do they care about him? Or are they attracted to that image and they somehow want to be part of what he is? You know, because you can also, we're coming to it, but you can be arrogant about, I know somebody who's very important. I'm not so important, but I know the important people. Okay. Or we can get arrogant if I'm not as good as somebody, but I'm almost as good. So we get arrogant about that. Okay, there's all sorts of ways in which we find some way, yeah, to make ourselves special. So, you know, are those people who who really put themselves up like that? Some, you know, I find myself, it arouses some envy, but it arouses... It's a, a very sick, disgusting feeling of envy because I don't really like those people. So how can I envy the people I don't like? Well, I like their status or their fame or their talent, but I don't like people who are who are boastful. Yeah. Okay, so there's a difference between arrogance and self-confidence, okay? With self-confidence, you're not inflating your good qualities. You know what your your good qualities are, and you have them in perspective, and you have the mind that wants to use them to make a positive contribution to society or to help somebody. So you you know you you aren't arrogant as if I am something special. Uh, it's just you know what the, those qualities are. You know other people who are who are better than you. You know that you're better than others, but you aren't interested in pulling rank. Okay, you're just interested in you know in in being a benefit. Okay, so. People who are who really have self-confidence don't need to go around presenting an inflated image of themselves because they believe in themselves. So for me, when I see people who are very inflated, to me it indicates that they don't really have self-confidence. Yeah, because if you really have self-confidence, you don't need to do a song and dance. Yeah. I just remember Zirka just I mean, he said this to me. He was, he was still quite young. And he, he was saying, you know, if I'm a good cook, I don't need to tell other people. I just cook a meal and they see it. I don't need to go around, exclu- you know, how great and wonderful a cook I am. So, uh, yeah, that, and it's the same with Dharma practitioners, you know, people who, who go around with, you know, 
I've been to, you know, 15 three-month retreats and 14 half-month retreats and I know this teacher and I know that teacher and I've had private teachings with this one and private teachings like with that one and of course here's my photograph you know that my teacher signed and I get to drive him around and you know and you find people like that in the Dharma and I've studied this text I've studied you know I this and that I mean yeah so you can tell that when people are arrogant like that, that they haven't really absorbed what they've been studying. <laughs> so I, always, I remember, this stands out in my mind, in 1989, um, there was a conference in uh, Irvine. It was quite near where my parents lived. And... Uh, it was some kind of, I forget, conference about something with a few thousand participants. And His Holiness was one of the speakers. And uh, he, you know, I've, there was one session and they had all these other people there, you know, famous people. I know they were talking something, you know, something. I can't remember. But all these famous people on the stage with His Holiness in a panel. And it was a Q&A time. And somebody asked His Holiness, you know, please, could you, you know, what do you think about this ideal idea? And His Holiness sat there and he said, I don't know. And then he looked at the other people on the, plant pan on the panel and he said, what do all of you think? And the room got so quiet because the expert of the experts said, I don't know. And in addition, he asked the other people for their ideas. And it's like, if you have that status, how could you say, I don't know? Well, because His Holiness, he doesn't have ego problems, <laughs> you know? He doesn't have to make himself look good to anybody else. He has self-confidence. Yeah, he has self-confidence. So he can be humble. When you don't have self-confidence, then you can't be humble. Yeah, because you don't believe in yourself. So, so you're terrified that if you're less than other people, then you really are bad. So you never want to be humble or last or anything like that. You want to be first. So it's very interesting to observe, you know, the the very arrogant people I think are are have some deep seated not really uh, not a, a good self confidence yeah and the people who can be very hum humble are are quite confident I think you know they believe in themselves and they have no need to try and prove themselves to other people yeah. Because why do we try and prove ourselves? Why do we do a song and dance to impress other people? 
because we don't really believe in ourselves. So we're trying to create an appearance and we think if I can convince other people that I am really that wonderful, then I must be that wonderful. So what we're doing is we're giving our power to other people and, and so that they can tell us who we are. And if they tell us we're wonderful, well, we must be wonderful. And if they tell us we're awful, then we must be awful. And so inside, we're, we're not very stable emotionally because it depends completely about what other people say about us. What they t say to us directly, what we hear that they're saying to other people. Yeah. And so then when you get a situation, you know, where one person is praising you and another person's criticizing you for the exact same quality or event, then you get really confused. You don't know who you are because you're giving all your power to other people and other people have no idea what's really going on inside of us. How can they tell us that we're worthwhile or we're, we're ignorant? Yeah, they can maybe comment on, on the wisdom of our choices or behavior, but to tell us who we are as a human being, you know, they can't do that. They don't know what's going on inside. Yeah, But we believe them because we don't know how to evaluate ourselves in a reasonable way. Okay? So instead of just seeing, oh, okay, I have this ability, this is good, this area I'm lacking at, you know, and having some reasonable, you know, assessment, uh, then, uh, you know, if we can't assess ourselves like that, then we wait for other people who to assess us and tell us who we are and if we're worthwhile. So we totally give our power away. And then we believe them, and then we get confused when they tell us something about ourselves that doesn't fit our image. Yeah, so when we think we're lousy and somebody else says, oh, you're so brilliant, you're so talented, or somebody says, I love you, we must say, though this person's a jerk, how can they think I'm so good? Yeah, even though we hunger for that praise, you know, because it boosts us up, but at the same time, well, this person doesn't know what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. So we get we get totally, yeah, confused, and you know, and then consistently this thing of comparing ourselves to others, as if that were a good standard to go by about our worth as a human being. Yeah. So everybody has the Buddha nature. Everybody should be respected. One person is not more valuable than the other. Why is it that it seems like in the West more people have a lack of self-confidence? I, I don't know. But I think, I wonder, if it's because 
There's so much emphasis in the West about being an individual and being unique. Yeah, you're supposed to be unique. You're supposed to be an individual. You yourself are better or more talented or more gorgeous or more athletic than other people. Yeah. Whereas in other cultures, your your identity is more a group identity of your family or your clan or your your tribe, something like that. But in the West, you know, we're supposed to be individuals. Yeah. We're supposed to have our own ideas and our own opinions. And that shows how intelligent we are if we have opinions. And this starts when you're very young. You go to to uh, uh, preschool. What's your favorite color? You have to have an opinion. You can't say, I don't know, or I don't have a favorite color. You have to have an opinion. And parents ask their children, do you want apple juice or do you, do you want orange juice? And the kid has to think, well, let's see, do I feel like orange juice? Do I feel like apple juice? You know, they have to have an opinion to be somebody. You can't just say, I'm thirsty, give me something to drink. Yeah, you can't just say, you know, I'll, I'll take whatever shoes they are. You have to specify a color, your favorite color. Yeah, it's so interesting, you know? And I think that that puts pressure on the individual, you know, that we have to be somebody in it with, you know, the kind of juice you like and your favorite color and your favorite TV program. Yeah, your favorite sports team, excuse me. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. No. But you can see all of it circles around the view of a personal identity. It all circles around grasping at an eye that exists inherently, yeah? And our desperate efforts to try and prove to ourselves that that I really exists. Yeah, so to prove that that I really exists, that I has to become very important. So then, of course, we want it, we compare it to other people. And we exclaim ourselves, yeah, look how beautifully I made that bed. I can make beds better than anybody else. Yeah? Watch the mind. It's incredible. But we will somehow, you know, put ourselves up with. At lunchtime, you know, I use chopsticks better than others. I don't look in other people's bowls. They're all looking in, in mine, you know. Some way, 
in which we can be better. It's really, when you think of it, pathetic. Yeah, isn't it? Because it's often over stupid things. But even if you are the best, you know, concert pianist, okay, you're talented, that's great. But when you die, your piano's not coming with you. And all your memorized, uh, you know, Tchaikovsky things, uh, you know, that's not coming with you. Okay. Okay. So then the fourth kind of arrogance is the arrogance that regards our aggregates and thinks I. Okay. So this one is also called the conceit of I am. And to me, this one, it, you know, this really hits the the hammer on the nail, the conceit of I am. So based on self-grasping, we believe ourselves to be inherently existent and very important. I exist. Just that ability to say, I exist. You know, and who's that I that exists? It's an inherently existent one that we really believe in. It's who we are, that immutable thing. Yeah. So based on the aggregates, I exist. I am. It's the conceit. I love that term, the conceit of I am. Isn't that a great term? It really describes it so perfectly. Yeah. Because every situation we walk into, even when we're nervous and we feel inferior and we wonder, how am I ever going to be with this group of superior people? There's still the I am there. Yeah, the conceit of I am. So, of course, everything revolves around us, doesn't it? And the fifth one is the arrogance that thinks we have good qualities that we don't have. So the other day I mentioned pretension. Yeah, so pretension is uh, pretending to have good qualities that we don't have. Yeah, so that pretension is very much related to this arrogance. The arrogance is really thinking, I have those good qualities. Yeah, it's like, oh, I know the... I know the method to benefit bodhicitta, you know, so well. I can teach this topic, you know. I can lead meditations. I can, you know, play the piano. I can hit a softball. I can hit a home run. And everybody cheers when I hit a home run. Okay. Meanwhile, (laughs) 
we're usually three strikes and we're out. <laughs> but our image of ourself, we think that we have good qualities that we don't. I am the most humble person. <laughs> you know, all these other people here, they have their noses in the air. But I'm of their class, but I'm very humble. I don't show off my knowledge. Okay. That was the fifth arrogance. The sixth one is arrogance thinking we are just a little bit inferior to someone who is really wonderful. Okay, so this is the one I mentioned before. So we may think, in this group of esteemed people, I am the least qualified, implying that although we are less than those who are experts, we definitely are better than the majority of other people. Okay, so that, that's the first part of how this one manifests. Yeah, in this group of uh, you know, talented people who know rocket science. Yeah, I am the least qualified. Yeah, they are the important people at NASA. At NASA. Yeah, they're the ones who made the Challenger crash. <laughs> I, I'm less important than them. I wasn't responsible for the crash, you know. Oh, there's a, an esteemed group of people, and I'm almost, I'm just a little bit inferior to them. Yeah. Or it claims status by being associated with somebody who is better than us. I am the disciple of a truly great spiritual master. Yeah. I am that teacher's disciple. So he's better than me, but he's teaching me implication. I'm special because he's teaching me. <laughs> yeah. So sometimes, you know, with with this one, we we uh, want other people to envy us. We want people to be jealous of us. Yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, sometimes it manifests as I'm better than these people, or sometimes it manifests as, you know, I'm nearly as good as somebody who's really excellent, or I'm the student of somebody who's really excellent. Yeah. So our status by who we know, and we love to drop names, don't we? We love to drop names, even though the people whose names we draw are not very important, <laughs> you know? But somehow I know them. So in whatever circle you run in, it's like, you know, like you, you talk about somebody who, uh, who ordained a long, long time ago. Oh, I know that person. I know that person. Yeah, 
you know, who knows where they are, if they're still in robes or what they're doing. But I'm somehow important because I knew them. You know, really, they're not much. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's, they're to be respected, they're a human being, but, you know, they're not somebody that I should, you know, get puffed up by knowing. Yeah, but I make myself puffed up because I know so many people. Yeah, and they know who I am too. Yeah. Doesn't matter that they call me Pema Trudrin. <laughs> and they say, You don't look like your photograph. <laughs> I read your book, the one, um, what is it? Something. Yeah, When Things Fall Apart. I read your book. It was so great. Yeah. Yeah, will you sign my copy? <laughs> well, actually, I'm not paying the children. <laughs> Sorry to disappoint you. <laughs> okay. But, uh, yeah, we get proud of, of who we know. Yeah. <laughs> Coming back to high school, you know, if you knew some of the socias, if, you know, they lived next door to you or something like that, you knew who they were. Yeah, you knew their family. You never played with them because they were better than us. But we knew them, you know. Oh, I know so-and-so. They live across the street from me. Yeah, we get some status from that, don't we? Actually, you know, we don't hang a hang out with that person or anything, but we think we're somehow special because we know them. And then uh, uh, seventh, arrogance, thinking our faults or virtues. This one is really negative, okay? Because we're very proud of our faults because we mistakenly think that they're virtues. For example, an ethically degenerate person thinks he is upstanding and righteous, or he thinks he's so clever, yeah? In the States, if you, the, how, if you can finagle the system so that you pay very little tax, people admire you. You got out of paying that tax. You must be very intelligent, okay? So, you know, they've, they've finagled the system. They're cheating, you know? They take, they get um, what I call corporate welfare. Uh, you know, people, the, people are against giving welfares to, welfare to, you know, single mothers and so on. But corporate welfare... Yeah, the big companies are, are having difficulties. The government gives them millions of dollars to sustain them. Or, you know, they give them money just to keep the, them in business. Like, um, you know, this car, carrier, uh, that factory that was going to close because they were uh, giving a lot of jobs to China. And then Trump came and said, this was in Mike Pence's state, and he said, we're going to keep this factory open. 
Okay. Yeah, to Mexico, was it? Yeah. And so, you know, the government gave them millions of dollars to keep, to keep the company open. That's, to me, that's welfare. That's corporate welfare. You know, I personally think that the, the single mother needs the money more to feed their kids and give their kids a good education. But, you know, to give it to the corporation so that they can give their CEO, you know, more money, then, you know, many people think, yeah, that's fine. That's good for the economy or whatever it is. Anyway, you know, thinking that your faults are virtues. Yeah. So you've, you know, uh, Trump paid $750 taxes for a couple of years and many years he paid no tax. And people think, wow, he must be so intelligent. You know, what a great guy. He wound up not paying taxes. Yeah. And me, I just, you know, I'm a blue-collar worker, and they take the taxes out of my paycheck, and I have to pay the taxes. But, you know, he makes so much money, and he, he's found a way to uh, work the system. Yeah, very interesting, isn't it? How we, we think that uh, we can admire people for, uh, for their non-virtue, and how we ourselves can be very proud of our non-virtue. Yeah. So-and-so was, you know, bossing me around. I gave it to them, you know. I shut them up good. Yeah. And you're very proud of yourself for, you know, punching somebody and breaking a few of their teeth. Yeah. It's, it's really rather pathetic, isn't it? You know, how we seek to feel power, how we seek to uh, establish ourselves. Yeah. And we wind up in a lot of suffering. Yeah. And we, I mean, we have a huge military. And we're very proud of our military. It's the best military in the world. What are we proud of? That we can kill people more efficiently than anybody else? You know, is that something to be proud of? Maybe for some people it is. It's not for me. But, okay, so arrogance, thinking our faults are virtues, and being proud of our non-virtue. Okay, so in The Precious Garland by Nagarjuna, uh, he delineates seven types of arrogance in a slightly different way, although the meaning is generally the same as above. The one exception is the arrogance of inferiority. Okay, so um, that's in Nagarjuna's list. So here, Nagarjuna describes it as the arrogance of disparaging ourselves and thinking that we are useless and incapable. And the Pali tradition, when they talk about arrogance, agrees with Nagarjuna's gloss of that one. Yeah. 
Okay? So the arrogance of disparaging ourselves and thinking we are useless and incapable. So you were asking why in the West people have such low self-esteem. You know, that kind of low self-esteem is a kind of arrogance. You know, I'm useless, I'm incapable, I'm just like, you know, so unworthwhile. <sighs> you know, and then, okay, you know the trip. Okay, so here, so these, uh, the next seven, this is uh, Nagarjuna's list. Okay, Jeffrey went through it with us, I think, once upon a time. So concerning these, the first is called arrogance. It is where one thinks of oneself as even inferior to the inferior, equal to the equal, or greater than or equal to the inferior. So again, this one encapsulates a few different ways of comparing ourselves to others. So we are worse than the worst, okay? We're equal to the equal, or we're greater than or equal to the inferior. What are you so proud about that for? Okay. So that's called just regular arrogance. Second one is presumptive arrogance. Uh, for one to presume that one is equal to someone who is better. Okay, so in the first this list, this was the arrogance thinking that you are uh, better than someone who's better. Here it's you're equal to someone who's better. Uh, then the third, if one presumes oneself to even be better than one's betters, okay, this is arrogance beyond arrogance. Okay, so this is arrogance with a cherry on top. When you think you are better than the people who are better than you, Okay, then thinking oneself to be even loftier than the lofty is excessively bad, like developing sores on top of one's boils. Okay, do you have an image of that? You have this boil that is so big and painful and full of pus. And then you have a sore on top of that boil that's infected and even, you know, more painful. So that's what, when you think of yourself to be even loftier than the lofty, yeah, it's like having a sore on top of a boil. Yeah. It really shows that we're in bad shape. <laughs> Doesn't it? You know, the person who sees themselves like that, they really don't have any confidence. Okay, then uh, the fourth verse here. Um, the five empty aggregates are what are called the aggregates subject to clinging. When one apprehends them as I, this is called the conceit of thinking I am. 
So the aggregates have no inherent existence. Okay? Nothing. No essential essence. So we take these things that have no essential essence, we cling to them, and we make, uh, and based on them, we think that there's uh, an I. So we're hallucinating on top of the hallucinated appearances. Okay? So it's like the sore on top of the boil. You have the hallucinated appearances of inherently existent aggregates. And on that basis, on that basis of that hallucination, you hallucinate an inherently existent I. <laughs> okay? So that's the conceit of I am. And five, to presume that one has attained a result that one has not attained is to have conceited arrogance. The, this is thinking that we have good qualities that we don't have. You know, that one that's linked with pretension. I've oh, in our precepts, you know, our, our, uh, our parajika precepts, the ones about lying, you know, where you claim to have realizations you don't have. Uh -huh. So that's this one, okay? You think that you have good qualities, you've attained realizations that you don't have, and then you lie, lie about it. And that's considered the worst kind of lying. Now you might go, why is that the worst kind of lying? Wouldn't, you know, deceiving people and tricking them out of millions of dollars be worse? Isn't breaking their trust when they, uh, you know, care for us, isn't that worse than this? Um, the story behind that one, okay, of uh, the thinking, well, the, these guys, they didn't, they didn't really think they had attained the result. I think they knew they hadn't, but they lied in order to get what they want, wanted. So it's not exactly uh, the, uh, an example of this kind of arrogance. But people can have this kind of arrogance and behave in the same way that the people did in the story. The way the story is, and, and from here you'll see why uh, this one is, is so bad, is um, there was a, a famine in where these monks were, and uh, the you know people didn't have enough food, and they monks weren't getting much going on Pindapat, so they started uh, acting as if they had realizations and telling people that they you know I can talk to the devas and the nagas and. I'm a stream enterer, and I've realized this and that. And the people, having so much faith in the Sangha uh, and thinking that these people had realizations, then gave them the food instead of keeping it for themselves. Out of respect for people with attainments, they gave them the food instead. 
But these people didn't really have the attainments. When the Buddha found out, you know, he, he really gave it to them. You know, why is what they did so bad? Because it's deceiving people with faith. Yeah, and when we deceive people who have faith in the Dharma or have faith in us because we're, the, we're Buddhist practitioners, even as a lay practitioner or as a monastic, you know, and uh, that's really bad. I mean, that's really deceiving people in a, in a very awful way, uh, taking advantage of them. Okay, so like I said, the, the monks who did that, they knew they didn't have the realizations, but they pretended to. So, uh, so after uh, the Varsa was over, uh, you know, they looked very well because they had eaten well during the Varsa because the lay people had given them their food. And when the Buddha uh, asked her, he said, gee, you guys look really fat and happy. What's, what's the story? And they told the Buddha what they did. And he went, what? Yeah, you did that? And then he, you know, it's a ser serious precept. Okay, so, yeah, even if we don't lie, thinking we've attained a result that we haven't, yeah, I've realized emptiness. Actually, you know, what you've had is just some kind of correct assumption. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I got a glimpse of em em emptiness. Or Yeah. Okay, so that's conceited arrogance. Uh, that's the fifth one here. And then the sixth one in Nagarjuna's list is the wise know that boasting about one's negative deeds is erroneous arrogance. So here you're very proud of your non-virtue, you know. I wiggled out of paying taxes. I, you know, I committed this crime and got away with it. That This is kind of a, a, a Roger Stone thing, you know, how he presents himself. Okay. Then seven is deriding oneself, thinking, I cannot manage. I cannot do this. I am unqualified. This is beyond my ability. I can never get to that ability at all. So that is the arrogance of inferiority. Okay, so such are the seven forms of arrogance in brief. That one, the arrogance of, of inferiority. When I was trying to learn Tibetan, you know, Geshe Nawandarge said to me, if you can become a Buddha, you can learn Tibetan. Okay, Geshe yeah, they say I can become a Buddha. Okay, I'll try and learn Tibetan. And I tried. And I didn't have all the right circumstances. Yeah. And it, it did have to do with the circumstances. When I had a teacher, a Tibetan teacher, I didn't have the time. When I had the time, there was no teacher. 
or I was sick, I had hepatitis, or I had visa problems, or, you know, you learn something and then, yeah, you have to stop in the middle so you never get anywhere. That was the thing that was so traumatic for me, you know? Because Lekshe Somom and Jampat Sedrin, they both know Tibetan. And Lekshe, we were ordained, uh, we took Gitzel in the same year, but she took Bhikshuni before me, so she sat ahead of me in the line. Jampa Sedrin took Getzel after me, but she took Bhikshuni a year before me. She sat ahead of me in the line, too. And they both knew Tibetan, and I didn't. And the other person who sat next to me, she had ordained as a good uh, as a Getzel after me, but I became a bhikshuni before her. Now, wait a minute. Was, or she, maybe she was on this side of me, too. <laughs> yeah, you know what? She might have been on this side. But I had to make torma offerings to her. Yeah. <laughs> I would give her chocolate and different things. Yeah, it's the same idea about offering torma. Yeah. And then after that, there were all these people who were ordained after me who knew Tibet. And I didn't. And that was the big thing I had to make peace with. You know, I really had to make peace with that. I'm like, okay, that's the way it is. It would have been really helpful to know. But I just don't have the conditions to learn Tibetan and to put myself where I had the conditions to learn Tibetan would distract me from my Dharma practice. And my Dharma practice is more important. And anyway, I can't hear the difference between ka, ka, ka. You know, they're the same. Ka, 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 you know. Pa, pa, ba. Ta, ta, ta. You know, they, these are the same. So, yeah. And anyway, in Tibet, every time you cross a ridge, the accent changes. And if you go from central Tibet to Amdo, you, you know, many people can't even understand what the Amdawas are saying. Okay. So, what to do? You know, I just had to keep, my mantra was, Hakomasan, Hakomasan, Hakomasan. It means, I don't know, I don't know. And my other mantra was, Chukho, Chai Mindu, Chukho. Okay, don't give me that awful butter tea. Just give me hot water. But the hot water usually is in a thermos that had butter tea. (laughs) (laughs) So it has this grease floating on top of it. (laughs) Okay, so... Okay, so there are certain things 
in our lives that we just have to make peace with. You know, that we that other people are better than us, and that's the way it is. And actually, that's good. Because then when you need, you know, when Jampa Sadran and I were together at this one meeting with these, these monks who were going through the Vinaya, then she translated for me. So I could just sit there and look stupid, and then she could translate. Of course, she understood everything, and I only got the summary. But, you know, <laughs> you learn to rejoice that other people are better than you. Okay. Arrogance blocks us from gaining new qualities. When we believe we are, are already top-notch, we are not respected and we are not receptive to learning. Instead, we remain complacent or even smug without endeavoring to cultivate virtuous qualities. Arrogance due to our Dharma knowledge or accomplishments does not plague beginners. At that time, we are aware of how little we know and how much we need to learn and practice. But after we have studied and practiced for a while, arrogance can easily set in and arrest our spiritual growth. Okay? So, yeah, it's true, isn't it? When we're baby beginners and we come in, we don't know anything. Everybody knows we don't know anything. It's very easy to be humble. Okay? Then you learn a little bit, and the next crop of baby beginners come. And it's like, well, I can lead you in meditation, and I can answer your questions, and, uh, you know, I can introduce you to so-and-so and so-and-so. And, and, uh, oh, they asked for somebody to go speak at that event. I'll go speak, you know. All of a sudden... uh, you know, we, uh, we know a lot and we become arrogant. When really, we don't know very much at all. It's just we're a little bit more knowledgeable than we were when we were baby beginners. Yeah. You know, it's like you think you've been ordained, you know, like I've been ordained five years. Wow, I know so much. You know, I've been ordained 10 years. Oh, now I'm a terror. Yeah, you know, if you get a title, you're a Tara. I've been ordained 20 years. I'm a Maha Tara. Yeah? And then you look at the level of your practice, and it's like... Terrible. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, I don't know anything. I don't understand these things. I can repeat some words that sound good, but I don't really understand them. So it is important to discriminate between arrogance and self-confidence. Arrogance is often a cover for insecurity, whereas self-confidence acknowledges our abilities without inflating them. Self-confident people have no need to boast of their achievements. Self-confidence, an essential factor on the spiritual path, should be nurtured. Okay? So don't confuse self-confidence with arrogance. Arrogance on the spiritual path is like poison. Self-confidence is important. His Holiness 
always says, you know, to be a bodhisattva, you have to have tremendous self-confidence. You have to really think, yes, I can do that. I can cultivate that quality. Yeah? So he says that repeatedly. Mm -hmm. So self-confidence, an essential factor on the spiritual path, should be nurtured. Having the thought, as I progressively practice the path, I'll be able to accomplish all the bodhisattva activities, is a helpful and necessary attitude. It is not arrogance. Yeah? You're thinking, as I progress, as I keep going, I can accomplish these, you know? Awareness of our potential boosts our enthusiasm to engage in Dharma study and practice. Similarly, rejoicing at our virtue with a sense of satisfaction, thinking, I feel good because I kept my precepts in a challenging situation, is not arrogance. It's a way of reinforcing our virtue. Okay. So, what? yeah, when we create virtue, yeah, or when we, we're facing a difficult situation and we are able to stop our habitual action of creating non-virtue, then to, to say good job, you know, and acknowledge that we did something well. Yeah, because that, that is reinforcing our virtues. If we go out and say, well, I did this, you know, that's arrogance. But, you know, just feeling like, oh, Wow, this is, I did this well. Yeah, that, that's, it's nice to have that feeling about yourself. Okay, so questions, comments? I don't, looking at Nagarjuna's uh, list of seven, I don't think I fully understand, um, like, thinking ourselves equal to the equal, how arrogance coming in there. Well, I'm equal to the equal, but I'm actually better. <laughs> and and still, it's comparison. You know, we don't really think I'm equal to the equal. Yeah, do we? I'm, I am better than them. Yeah, we're equal. Yeah, we're equals, but I'm better. And I have more potential. With the conceit of I am, how does that differ from the view of the personal identity or the transcendent? Yeah, it's it's very related to that. Yeah, it says it's on the basis of the view of the personal identity. So it's, uh, I see it as something even, you have the self-grasping and then it's like, you make it really special. Yeah. You're grasping at an inherently existent self. That is really in a, a special one, because I exist. Would comparing the path of the individual liberation versus the bodhisattva path be an arrogance, since this is a personal choice? Um, it depends on your attitude. If you just see, okay, I choose this path, this path appeals to me more than the other path, 
that's not arrogance. It's, it's your personal choice. It's according to your disposition. If you say, I am better than the people who follow this other path, that's arrogance. And that is actually showing how little you understand of the Dharma. <laughs> yeah. How do you recommend responding when you feel like someone's pitying you? I just ignore it. You know, I mean, what can you say? What can you say? Actually, you got it all wrong. I'm better, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I think it, you just, you know, yeah. What is the difference between arrogance of inferiority and jealousy? Um. The arrogance of, of inferiority is, again, it's inflating uh, yourself. I am worse than others. Yeah? So it's, it's a view you have about yourself. Jealousy is actually falls under anger because it's, oh, this person has the good stuff, and I should have it. Okay? So they can, they can be related, you know, in one incident, but they're, they're different. When you experience the laziness of discouragement of the result, path, or basis, is the root affliction behind this the arrogance of inferiority, or is discouragement its own affliction? Um... Discouragement is said to be a type of laziness, and I think that's because it makes you, uh, it zaps your joyous effort. So it's laziness in that respect, but it is also a kind of arrogance of, of inferiority. You know, I'm just like, I'm the worst one, I'm, you know, I'm hopeless. I'm just not good enough. I can't measure up. But see how special I am. You know, I can't be the wor the best, so I'm going to be the worst. Yeah. So I need special attention because I'm so bad and so incompetent. Is arrogance then a kind of an attachment to oneself then? Yeah. So it's it falls under attachment where... Um, jealousy falls under anger. Yeah, it, it, it's actually its own sick one, but it, it goes more, I think, towards the attachment side in the sense of, uh, you know, bolstering up something, inflating the value of something. In this case, yourself. Okay. Nothing else? Okay, then we'll dedicate. And uh, next week we'll do ignorance. So come prepared. <laughs> what, 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 what are you saying? What are you talking about? Huh? Huh?